Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you here. We actually have hit 50 today. Our cap, so way to go. We're a packed house. Um, we may have snuck in one or two more, but I won't, we won't tell. Uh, good to have you here. Good to see you too, Elkie. Uh, I, I would encourage you to send videos in. It, it is nice uh, for everybody to, to connect and to remember and to say hi and to to see that. We're in 1 John again today. This is the season in our church where we go through the things we call the writings. Typically, they are letters. Now, 1 John is more like kind of a poetic sermon than it is a letter. It's not addressed to anyone. It's, it's, it's John writing his thoughts and the things he feels like the Lord wants him to communicate to this variety of churches, probably about 50 or 60 years after the crucifixion. And he's talking about... Uh, he wants us to, to join in the fellowship that he and the others have with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a bit last week, this, this idea of participating in the divine life of God. Now, when I grew up in the Presbyterian church I grew up in, we, we had potluck suppers, and that's when we our fellowship suppers. And we'd come and we'd sit and we'd talk, and that became anchored to me what fellowship meant. And it, it's a great picture of that. But, but when the Bible's talking about koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship, it's something a bit deeper. It's, it's actual participation in the life of God. It's a, it's a different way of thinking about how we actually exist. I, I threw up this picture of this icon last week, this Rublev's icon that, that's been used throughout the, uh, the, the history of the church to teach about the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit sitting around a table, and there's this open spot where we can pull our chair right up to them. And as they share life with each other, the three in one God, we actually participate in that same thing. We're invited by the Holy Spirit in us to connect with the Father and the Son in, in really a way of sharing life. It's, it's not just sitting at the table. It's actually... Um, we have spiritually died and been raised to newness of life that the life of God actually flows in us. Now, last week, the call was, if, if you want to be invited into this fellowship, one of the ways we live that out is by walking in the light. And we, we said we're forgiven, we're free, we're loved, and that helps us to stay in the light and walk with God. Uh, today, we're going to see some of the challenges that come as we seek to live in that light. We're going to start with chapter 2, verse 18. And we're going to read, oh, excuse me, 2.15, and we're going to read down to 3, verse 10. 1 John 2.15 to 3, verse 10. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son, and no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you've heard 
from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's, the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, I've kind of... One thing about John in his writing, John is a... He's a lover, not a fighter. (laughs) John, John is a very emotional person, and he writes ideas and this and that. He's not, Paul, Paul sometimes is way more logical and systematic. John kind of says, here, and look at this, and look at that. And, and John makes preachers pull their hair out because it's hard to organize John's thoughts. But I'm, I'm going to try by looking at what I call the challenge of fellowship and the, the choice and the truth. We're going to look at those three things, and then we're going to talk about how we move into that fellowship. First, the challenge of fellowship is there's a trinity of darkness that he talks about. The text reminds us that there are forces in a broken world that actually pull us away from this table of fellowship. They, they, they want to hinder that connection. They're not new, but they're profound, and they will be a continual nuisance to anyone who seeks to live in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. I, I've been confronted with that this week. We always are challenged by these three things. He he mentions them in 2.16. The NIV says, The cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. That obviously means that you women don't struggle with any of those because those are all masculine pronouns. Right? Wow, we should have you up here leading this service. Obviously, these are are general. Um, The cravings of the sinful man. the, The other translations will say, The lust of the flesh. Then the NIV says the lust of his eyes. And the third one is the boasting of what he has and does. And other translations will say the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it says everything that is in the world boils down to those three things. That doesn't mean that exists in the world. It means everything that pushes us away from this table of the Father, Son, Spirit into the way the world wants to do things consists of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The point is 
that, that when we embrace the way of the world, we begin to take these things on as our way to being happy, to get what we want. Now, I, I talk about these uh, in depth in that first spiritual formation retreat that I do. And I, I would encourage all you, we're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do those in the coming year. We may just offer it as part of Sunday school. But I talk about these, these things that lie deep within us that resonate with the broken world away from a relationship with God. And I, I'm going to use three words to kind of help flesh that out. Feeling, having, and controlling. The, the first one, the NIV says, cravings of the sinful man. Other translations say the lust of the flesh. Those things are desires that our body wants. Physically, we want these things. Now, because it says lust of the flesh, 90% of our thinking is focused on, oh, these are sexual things. But the, 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 word, the Greek word for lust there is desires or cravings, and it can be anything, any, any craving that our body wants. And, and I've, I said that's feeling. We want to feel something in our physical body. Uh, we, we give in to that. We, we begin to pursue it. It can be your desire. Now, it, it can be sexual in nature, obviously, but it can also be your desire to be liked or to be loved by others, your desire to be respected or for other people to praise you. That's a feeling. You want a certain feeling, and so you live a certain way to get that feeling. You're longing to be important. Thomas Keating, who's helped me a lot in understanding this, calls this the area of affection, esteem, or pleasure. It's a feeling that you want, and, and that's what drives you. You think, if I can just have this feeling, then I, I'll be happy. That's the way the world says. That's the first part of that trinity. I want to feel loved. I want to feel admired. I want, I want to feel good. And there's nothing wrong with being loved and being admired. There's nothing wrong with feeling good. I'm not saying you have to feel horrible all the time and then you're a very successful Christian. <laughs> what I'm saying is when that becomes the, the, the path you are going to choose for meaning and fulfillment and purpose, you're, you're going about this the way the world does. See, we, many of us, unknowingly, we, we probably would never say this, but that we think that's the only way to be happy. We might, might not say, oh, I just want to feel good. That's the most important thing to me. We may never verbalize that. But, but things like, I'll just hit right at, at our own doorstep. How many of you are afraid of confrontation? We don't want to wade into difficult situations. We don't want people not to like us. You know what? We do that because we're longing to be respected. and We don't want that. Uh, that bad feeling. Or uh, we, we wear masks to hide our flaws from everybody because we want to feel good. We want them to like us. We want to be the person that people talk nice about. Or, or we let our feelings, our desire to, for good feelings instead of difficult or hard feelings drive our actions. See, it's a sign that we're using this lust of the flesh, the cravings of our body, our feelings, to pursue meaning and happiness and peace. And you can know, you can think, well, how do I know if I'm doing that? Well, when you feel bad, when you don't get what you want, when people don't like you, do you get angry or depressed or afraid or frustrated? That's a sign. When you start feeling those emotions because you don't, you're not getting the feelings that you want, it's a sign, maybe I am investing too much into this. Maybe I'm, I'm focused a little too much on this. The second one, oh, here's another thing. I always hear people say, well, you made me feel like this. I'm so mad at them. They made me feel like I wasn't valuable. They made me feel, can I just tell you, people can't make you feel anything. 
I mean, you may feel undervalued. You may feel taken advantage of. But if you let that feeling drive your life, if you, if you say that feeling is going to decide what, what's coming in my future, that feeling is going to decide how I make choices from here on out, then what you're doing is surrendering to that dark trinity, that craving of the flesh. The second one is the lust of our eyes. Once again, this makes us think of, of kind of sexual sin, and it can be that. But what this is more about is this desire to have, to have what we see. If, if, I, if I just had that, I'd be happy. My life would be complete. If I had that job or that car or that spouse, that house, that property. Thomas Keating calls it a, a desire for safety and security. I want to be okay. I want, I want to have what I need, and that will make me happy. I want to feel secure. I want to feel safe. Thinking that, that if I just have this, this is what brings me meaning. That's, that's succumbing to that second person of the dark trinity. And how do you know if that's you? Well, when you don't get what you want, do you get angry, afraid, or frustrated, or depressed? That, that means what you're doing is you're, you're investing your life in how, what you have. And if you don't have it, it takes your meaning and your joy away. Nothing wrong with having things. But if it's what you're counting on, it shows you're... you're, you're, you're you're going in the wrong direction. One of the key things here is comparison. If you find yourself comparing yourself to other people, either if you're better than them or worse than them, this is, this is the lust of your eyes. You want to look and have what they have. Or you're proud of yourself because you don't have what they have. That's the same thing. The third is the boasting of what we have and what we do other translations call it the pride of life, and I call it controlling. It's being in charge. It's, it's knowing that I'm, taking, I'm calling the shots for my life, and I've taken care of myself. It's, it's, Keating calls it power and control. And it, 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 it's the ability to avoid pain and to find comfort. If that's what drives my life, I want to avoid the difficult and make sure I'm comfortable. And I want to be in charge of that and in control. And that's what's going to make me happy. That you're going the wrong direction. You're being deceived by this dark trinity. And, and it's keeping you away from the very fellowship that God wants to bring you. And once again, how do I know this? Well, when you aren't in control, when someone else makes decisions that make your life hard, do you get fearful, angry, frustrated, depressed? That's a sign that you're buying into that. Once again, nothing wrong with having some power and control in your life. It's just when it becomes the most important thing, that's when you're out of balance. See, these are the, the temptations of the world. The world says you can be happy if you, if you can feel what your body wants, if you can have what your eyes see, and if you can be in charge of your domain. If you can do that, that's the way to a successful, happy life. It's not a new pitch. This is not their first appearance. If you follow Scripture, even go back right to the very beginning in Genesis 3. When the woman in the Garden of Eden... Now, here's where the women get messed up. The men were really bad in, in 1 John, but the women messed up on this one. So it's all even. We're all in the same. <laughs> when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, I've got this craving, I want food. Oh, feeling. And she saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Look at that beautiful piece of fruit. I want to have it. And also desirable for gaining wisdom so I can take control of my life. Do you see those, those same three things? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, right there in the garden. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, and the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Or come to the New Testament when Jesus goes into the, into the desert to be tempted, right? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, the tempter comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're feeling hungry, Jesus, I know exactly how you can take care of it. And Jesus didn't fall into it, right? He answered, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the tempter came back, and in verse 6, he says, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. He took him up to the highest point of the temple, and, and he said, look, if you want people to the acclaim, if you want people to see you, if you want to have that, then jump off, and the angels will grab you. It's that acclaim and acceptance of people seeing something and wanting it. And Jesus said, it's written, he will command his angels, or no, Jesus didn't say that, excuse me. The devil said, it's, he, he will command his angels concerning you and they'll lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan used scripture to try to get Jesus to succumb to, to grasping what he saw as, as the acclaim of people. And the third one in verse eight and nine, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. You'll be in charge, Jesus. You'll be able to control if you'll just bow down and worship me. See, the world tells you the way to be happy is, is, is to, to give your body the feelings that it wants, to have what you see, and to take control and have power in your life. The, the choice is really between two very different spirits. And that's why, why John says, he starts talking about this spirit of Antichrist that denies and leads people away. If you read, next week we'll read 1 John 4, 3. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. People spend hours trying to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. And John says, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And, and it, it's this spirit that's going to drive you away from this table of fellowship, from participating in the life of God. He warns about it in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 2. Dear children, this is the last hour. You've heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. And then he anchors it by saying the point of this spirit of Antichrist is that it says Jesus is not the Messiah. Verse 22, 23. Who is a liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. The whole point is this dark trinity pulls us away from acknowledging who Jesus is. And it says in verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Astray from what? What are they trying to lead us away from? It's that table where we sit down with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the light, and we receive the life. Instead of receiving the life from God, we think, if I can just feel certain things, if I can just have certain things, if I can just be in control of my life, then I'll, be, then I'll have it. Th those are the temptations we face. And on the other side, John says, is the spirit of the Holy One that brings truth and that word fellowship, that participation in the divine life. He says in verse 20 of chapter 2, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. That anointing is this idea of this pouring out of the Spirit on us that connects us with the Father and the Son. The Spirit inside of us allows us to be at that table and, and the life of God actually flowing through us. 
Remember we said last week, you know the truth. You, you, you know him, you're forgiven, and that leads you into the participation with the divine life. And he says in verse 24 and 25, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son. What does that mean? We don't, that doesn't mean we understand Jesus. It means we actually participate with him. We remain in him. There's something that links us together. I talked last week about how our families, right? We, we lose someone we love or, or somebody we, we love suffers or celebrates and we feel it. There's a, a shared life there. And what he's saying is we can have that with God, this sharing of life. It's what actually gives you what you're looking for. The dark trinity promises, oh, if you can just feel this, if you can just have this, if you can just be in control, you're gonna, that's going to make you happy. That's what the dark trinity promises. And yet the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, come to the table and we will give you actual life. And, and what, what is it that can help us? And that's where John gets into chapter 3. How many of you, it's a pretty easy question. How many of you would sign up to follow the dark trinity today? Raise your hand. Nobody's doing that, right? We know that we do it in our actions, right? But nobody wants to do that. So the question is, how do we stop? How do we stop doing what we're doing? I've been, this is a convicting sermon when I start saying, okay, what in my own life? I, don't, I didn't enjoy preparing this sermon. There was a lot of stuff I saw about me that I didn't like. But what is it that can keep me turning away from the dark trinity and turning back toward that table of fellowship with God? What's the truth, John says, that we are a child of God. It's how we can avoid surrendering the direction of our lives to the spirit of the Antichrist. John says it all the way through. Dear children, dear children, dear children. And, and if you think about that, those three parts of the Trinity, this thing that, that I, I just want to feel something, I want to feel, well, God loves us. We are children, we are loved by God. But I want to have what I see. Well, who is the one that owns the cattle on the thousand hills? Who's the God of creation? Who's the one that provides for his children? Not always what they think they need at the moment. I'll, I'll grant that. But the having comes from being a child of God and power and control. Let's just admit that we're not up to it. We can't handle power and control. But we can entrust ourselves to the one who can. John says we are children, and that's the key. And it's not because we've earned it. Or deserve it, but it's because God chooses to lavish love. I love 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. God chooses to lavish love. Lavish is such a good word. We don't say it a lot. Uh, one of my favorite writers is Annie Dillard. She's an acquired taste. Some people love her, some people don't like her because she's kind of wordy and Dense, but she paints pictures that are powerful. And one of my favorite lines she's ever written is she's talking about grace, and she says, you catch grace as a man fills his cup under a waterfall. You catch grace in your life as a man fills his cup under the waterfall. And as I was preparing the sermon this week, right, I'm confronted by my own surrendering to the darkness, right? My own lust of my flesh, lust of my eyes, and the pride of my life. And I'm looking at this thing called my life, and I'm like, it's empty. There's nothing there that, that satisfies me. And I remember this quote, you catch grace, child of God, like a man fills his cup under the waterfall. I want you to just think for a minute. Just imagine you've got a cup, a blue solo cup, <laughs> that is your life, and you realize, man, I'm pursuing 
of this stuff and it's just empty. I don't feel, it seems to make me want to, I think I'll be happy and all of a sudden I'm not. And then I want you to watch this video clip and imagine yourself taking this cup and just filling up your cup with the water, the video clip of this waterfall. Make sure the audio is on there, Sig. It's 15 seconds, I'm just going to let it run. Just take your cup, put it under there. Let me ask you this, how many of you got wet? Right? How many of your cup, like, if you fill your cup under a waterfall, it's everywhere. It's, and I love that picture. Andy Dillard says, you catch great. That's what it means. You la- God lavished his love upon us. He poured it overwhelmingly on us. And that's why we're children, not because we've made the cut, not because we're good enough, not because we've made the right choices. Before we even were, it says, that, that he chose us in love. Next week, 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You see where it all starts? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And that enables us in turn to love. 1 John 4.19, see, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. I'm next week's text already, but it's just there, it's coming. We love, why? Because he first loved us. The reason that we can spill the love of God on people is because we filled our cup under a waterfall and we're drenched. There's no way anybody that comes with you cannot be drenched. It's vitally important to understand this. I was talking with the Hainos this week, and the boys came across a letter. It was in their mom's handwriting, and it it said, Dear Jennifer, at the top, and it was kind of confusing for them. They were reading the letter, and it didn't quite make sense until they flipped it over on the back and finished the letter, and they saw that what Jen had done was write herself a letter from Jesus. Beautiful letter. And, and the point of it was, Jen realized that God loved her. Like, one of the things about Jen, now Jen wasn't perfect. We all, everybody knows that. She, she had her flaws just like the rest of us. But Jen believed that God loved her, and that enabled her to love people all over this community, regardless of whether they, they measured up or not. She loved because she'd been loved. And, and, and the thing we have to realize that keeps us running away from the dark trinity and to the table where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit invite us, is is that we are a child of God. It's not a matter of our ability. It's a matter of identity. He says, that is who you are. We're welcomed into that life of the Trinity because of the love of God. We're not who we try to make other people think we are. We are not some image that we try to pop up. We're not our own public relations committee that's trying to make us look good to the world. We are the children of God at the core our identity. Colossians 3 says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We're his child. That's who we are. The old us is gone. And I know we still look a lot like the old us. We do that all the time. But But what the scripture's saying is, you're not what you look like. You are who you are. You're the child of God because God has lavished his love upon you. And what do children do? We grow up to look and act like our parents. How many of you have noticed, I am my mom or I am my dad, right? You see it happen and you're like, how did that happen? I didn't try to do that, but I did it. 
And, and the Spirit guides us as we are growing into family resemblance. That's what he says in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. That's who we are. And what we, has, what we will be has not yet been made known. We don't quite know exactly how that's going to look. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's coming. We are going to be like him because that's who we are. And I love verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him, in God, purifies himself, even as God is pure. Because you know who you are, and because you know that you're loved, not because you've measured up, not because you've done everything right. See, we, we tend to think, oh, I reject the dark trinity, and I've done it so well that God welcomes me to his table. No, God says, come to the table because this is where life exists. Just leave that behind. It's not because you've rejected it so well and you've overcome. It's because I, I love you and I'm inviting you to my table. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, as we look at him head on, sitting at this table, reflecting uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, looking at each other, it says, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. All of this that John is telling us is to help us. He says, look at the dark trinity. There it is. It's going to pull you away. It's going to hinder fellowship. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. But guess what? You guys are children of God. You've been invited to a whole different table. And He wants us to be moving toward fellowship and not away from it. So what can we do? How can we move toward that table and stay there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Did you ask that? Good. Thank you very much. There are some basic steps that we can take over and over, and I say that because I've had to take them over and over again just this week as I've reflected on my own life. They're reflected in the text we're looking at today. And first, even though we don't like to do this, we need to identify the darkness that we're drawn to. To move into the light of fellowship, this light of sharing and participating in the life of God, we have to leave, we have to identify and leave behind darkness. And the first step in that, especially for me, is often the hardest. That is to actually identify the darkness that pulls you. John says, don't love the world or anything of, of the, in the world, and then he lists this trinity of darkness. We have to be honest about what it is that actually calls to us out of that feeling, having, or controlling. Maybe it's all three, maybe it's one, maybe it's two. But we hesitate. How many of you hesitate to be honest about who you actually are? We're, I, here's my spiritual metaphor. You know what we're like in our spiritual life? We're like men driving around, refusing to ask for directions because we do not want to admit that we're actually lost, right? Honey, stop and ask for directions. No, 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 I'll figure it out. That's what we do. Now, maybe you women can't identify with that, but all the men back here are nodding their heads. Oh, yeah. That's what we do spiritually. We, we, we first have to admit that we're, this is the part of darkness that I struggle with. It's deeply rooted in our pride. It's our refusal to acknowledge the truth. It's rooted in our fear. What will happen if we actually say that and acknowledge that truth about ourselves? What will happen? I've seen two movies or TV shows, I can't even recall which ones, but in the past eight or ten days, both of them had situations where somebody got a medical result in an envelope and they were afraid to open the envelope because they didn't want to know the truth and they'd had it for several days. It didn't change the truth, they were just afraid to face it. And, and that's us in our spiritual life. Sometimes we're afraid to face the truth. We have to identify the darkness that we're drawn to. 
this reflection. What am I looking to for my peace and joy? Is it, is it, do my feelings rule my life? Do I, do I have to have things and I'm afraid if I lose these things, I won't be happy? Or do I have to be in control? Which darkness am I drawn to? Maybe all three to different degrees. But acknowledge it. Say it out loud. Find a trusted friend and confess that to them too. Every worship service, we do a song of confession. Today we said we bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. Right? We, 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 we confess that and acknowledge it. That's the first step to moving toward the table of fellowship. That's how we take that aspect of us, that part of us that we hate, and we give that to the Spirit of God. In chapter 3, verse 4, he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Guys, realize, he says, if you're doing this, call it what it is. Don't run away from it. And the reason you don't run away from it is chapter 3, verse 5. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. John says the safest place to be honest about your darkness is at that table because the whole reason Jesus came was to take away your sins. That's where the freedom comes from. And that leads to a change in us. Chapter 3, verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now that, that's a heavy verse, isn't it? Because part of us wants to think, wow, well, I obviously don't know him. And I think this is not something that says only sinless people are good enough to know God because John also says, confess your sins. But if we do sin, we have one who's, who, who died for us. I think what this is saying is, John says, when you actually come to the table, when you're able to acknowledge that darkness and give that to the Spirit of God and sit down and let, let participate in the divine life of Christ, all of a sudden that sin falls away. It's not, you're not drawn to it anymore. When we acknowledge our tendency toward the darkness and confess it, and we give it to the Spirit of God, that's where we actually make progress in the spiritual life. <laughs> and that's also the place, and with this I'll, I'll end, where we start hearing the inner critic. When you start getting there, let me tell you what you're going to hear. There's, there's a voice in your head. It's, it's the last-ditch effort of the trinity of darkness. And it points you back to your past failures. Yeah, yeah, God loves you, but boy... Must be hard for him. All the stuff you've done. I can't believe it. Yeah, and we almost, we self-inflict. We're like, oh, thank you, God, for loving me because I'm so... It, it's that inner critic. It's this voice that comes back to us. Reminds us of all our brokenness. And then we begin to even think, how could God love somebody like me? How could he love me? And that's when we have to come back to what John has said over and over in this poetic sermon that he's writing. Dear children, dear children, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. In that moment when the voice starts questioning in your head, how could God love you? You know what we do? We cling to our adoption as a child. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are, not will be. Not that when we finally get this nailed down and when we get good enough, we'll be the ch We are the children of God. This is the thing that keeps us at the table. It's not because what we have to offer. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because we're just outstanding in our faithfulness. And God said, come sit with me at the school lunch table. It's because he loved us and we are his children. 
And the critic comes and we listen to the critic in our head saying, oh, yeah, yeah. And we get pulled back away because all of a sudden our feelings and our, what we see and have to have and our, our desire for control takes over again. And I say, no, Lord, that's not, I don't want to be that. I want to sit at this table. I want to be involved in participating in your life. Here's your homework. I don't usually give homework, but I'm doing it today. Three things. First, take these last three points. Take the time, number one, to identify the darkness that you're drawn to. Block out some time a day and be ruthlessly honest with God. Is it my feelings that are driving my life? Is it I have to have stuff? Is it possessions? Is it I'm in control? I need to be in control and I don't like it when I'm out of control. What is my darkness that I'm drawn to? Maybe it's aspects of all three, but be honest about it. Blunt. God can handle it. And I, I would encourage you to find a trusted friend and just say, you know what? I've been thinking about this and these are the things that are tripping me up and I want to I be honest and open about them because I think confession brings it out into the light where God can heal it. Take the time to be ruthlessly honest with God. And once you've identified it, then, then whatever that paper was, give it to God. You can rip it up, you can throw it away, you can burn it, you can do whatever it is. But give it to God, because stop depending on your ability to overcome that and rest in His. You're His child. You've been invited to the table. Just tell Him the truth about who you are and let Him love you in spite of that. And then just cling. Every time that voice comes back in your head, you say, no, you know what? I'm adopted. I'm at the table. Memorize that verse. How great is the love the Father has lavished on me that I should be called the children of God, a child of God, and that is what I am. Memorize that verse, and every time your head starts telling you, man, you really blew it. And it, it's not pride that does that. I mean, some people say, well, I, I don't feel like... I don't care how you feel. I don't give a rip how you feel. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I do give a rip how you feel. But what I'm saying is, are you going to base your life on how you feel about your relationship with God or what God has actually said. That he has lavished his love on you. He's, he's made you his child. There are a lot of things I, I, I'm going to be guilty of, but I hope that I can learn to be less guilty of telling God you're wrong. Because that's what it is. If, we, if, we're, if we're driving our, ourselves this way or we're too ashamed to come to the table or we're so overwhelmed by our sin then what we're saying to God is, no, it's not true what you say in 1 John 3, 1, that you've lavished your love upon me and I am your child of God. I'm your child. We need to identify the darkness. We need to confess it to God and to, to maybe to another person. And then we need to cling to the truth that we are adopted as the children of God. That, my friends, will transform your life. If you can begin to live in the grace of God, if you can stick your cup under that waterfall and have it spill all over you, all of a sudden the darkness doesn't look so good anymore. You're not drawn to that anymore. And in those moments when you, you crave feeling or stuff or control, you can say, no, this is just so much better. I'd rather have this. And you'll be able to put those things aside. Let's pray. God, it's, it's hard to be honest with ourselves because it's painful. And I just pray that, that you would give us the grace to, to wade in there, that this wouldn't be just something we, we think about or acknowledge as a good idea, but that we actually identify what it is in our heart that we're holding on to that keeps us away from your table, that, that limits our participation in the divine life. Help us to identify it. Help us to release it to you. 
and help us to cling to the fact that we are your child, that you have lavished your love upon us, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. Help us, set us free from this inner critic, from these, these, this trinity of darkness that wants to put its hooks in us and draw us away from you and the participation in your life. We know that it can't happen. We know that believers are safe with you, but we want to live in that safety, God. We don't just want to know it as a concept. We want to actually live in that participation of life with you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. Scripture does so many things for us, and one of the things I want you to realize is there are, Scripture reveals to us, but it also gives us places we can rest. And, and in that way, it's like your best friend in that it can tell you things that you don't really want to hear about yourself, right? It can tell you about, uh, you know, uh, everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. It can tell you about yourself. It can reveal that to you. It's like a best friend. Oh, I didn't want to hear that. Oh, it's tough. But also like a best friend, it says, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm, I still love you. I'm with you. I'm telling you the truth about yourself because not only does Scripture reveal, it gives you things you can rest in, like how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. My hope this week is you'll let Scripture reveal to you who you are. But you won't let that overshadow the fact that you can rest in the fact that you are a child of God. That's my prayer for you this week. Amen.